This is Asia in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of Asia in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in Asia Pacific on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Mancini, partner at Control Risks, and I lead the Asia Pacific Markets Group. In this episode, we're going to talk about China and the recent 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. The media was full of analysis and commentary in the run-up to the event and the immediate aftermath of the event, mainly focused on President Xi Jinping's unprecedented third term, who he put in the Politburo and the powerful seven-person standing committee, and of course, the drastic negative market reaction um, to the events that happened. Now that the dust has settled, what we want to do is take a step back and take a more thoughtful look at what occurred and, more importantly, what it means for the business environment for our clients going forward. Clearly, the most striking outcome of this Congress has been the very emphatic confirmation of the extent of President Xi Jinping's dominance and and that's going to shape the environment for the foreseeable future. What we don't have answers on yet, really, is what he's going to do with that dominance from a policy perspective. And despite the huge market reaction, a very negative one that we saw, there's no real concrete new policy indicators on that. And we'll have to look to other uh, events and signals in the coming months for where we're headed on the policy front, which is what's really going to count next year. That was Andrew Gilham, our Director of Analysis for China and North Asia. Andrew's been a China watcher for decades and, in fact, has been watching the Party Congress every five years since the early 2000s. Andy, let's start with you. We wrote our immediate post-Congress takeaways just as the event ended, and one of your pieces on that is still available on our website, the Controls website, which we're going to link in the show notes for this podcast. But again, at this point, the dust has started to settle somewhat. So we're not going to pick through all the details again of who got promoted and who didn't. Again, that's up on our website. But taking a step back, now that we're beyond the immediate aftermath, what are the key takeaways overall that you've been flagging for clients? I'm conscious that you've been in dozens of meetings, client presentations, media interviews and the like, a lot of commonality in the questions that you're receiving. What are the key takeaways that you can share with us today? Well, the two big questions going in were basically around First of all, the extent of President Xi Jinping's dominance, which looking back seems almost as if it wasn't in question, but actually at the time, over the past year, there has been some questions about that, some of it rather outlandish rumors, but some of it also quite legitimate speculation about whether there would be some degree of of pushback or compromise forced upon him in the context of a very challenging 2022 in terms of the economy, lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. So there was that question of just how dominant would he be and would there be any evidence of of compromise or pushback? And the other question or questions were around the outlook for policy. You know, what indicators are we going to get? The event is obviously not a, a policy-making event, and usually we don't get a great deal in terms of of specifics, but people still look to it for high-level indicators. And historically, there's occasionally 
been congresses where it's turned out to be a big sort of symbolic turning point. The answers on those two fronts are quite contrasting because in terms of the the level of Xi's dominance, that was very emphatically answered. And the answer was, of course, that Xi Jinping is extremely dominant, perhaps even more than than many of us thought. Um, and there was almost no evidence in the outcomes from the Congress, particularly in terms of the, the personnel outcomes, almost no evidence of balance or, or compromise or him having to make uh, concessions. So on almost every point where something was in question, the answer was that he appeared to get the outcome favorable to him. So if he was constrained before the Congress by those kind of trade-offs and balance within the leadership, any kind of remaining collective leadership, he certainly doesn't look very constrained after it. So on that front, we got a very clear and quite stark answer. In terms of the policy outcomes, I don't think we did get any answers. We got more questions than answers. Now, it seems that markets disagreed with that because, as you said, there was a a strong negative reaction in the markets. But in terms of actual substantive policy indicators, we didn't really get any. Can you elaborate a little bit more for us on the relationship between the, the policy and the market impact? Because, I mean, what you're saying is right. It was not a policymaking event, but we saw the market tank. And I'm wondering your view on whether investors on the way in just had a uh, you know, kind of incorrect assumptions, or was there any new news that came out of the Congress that would have warranted such a slide? I'm I'm curious if you thought investors missed anything. It was unprecedented, really, to get this kind of market response. We don't normally see markets react strongly to a party Congress, and in, in fact, you know, going back to the the late '90s and early 2000s, and and even you know 2017, relatively speaking, compared to what we saw more recently, markets haven't tended to see these as as major events for economic policy. And there hasn't been this level of sensitivity and and attention. So it, it's kind of a sign of the times, I think, in, in terms of the level of, um, of interest in and concern and anxiety about how politics is driving economics and, and the markets. The reason I say that we didn't get any major policy indicators is because even if you look at what seems to have been part of the the trigger for a lot of the concerns, and this got a lot of attention in, in the media, it was references to common prosperity, which is a, a theme that got a lot of attention in, in 2021 and caused a lot of concern about you know whether we would have a more uh, radically redistributive policy turn and it kind of mixed in with concerns about the, the the big crackdown on some leading tech companies and other leading private companies and tycoons and there was attention to that going into the congress and there was a little bit of language that was cited in some of the coverage of it which seems to have been one of the things that contributed to the negative reaction but if you look at what was actually said, it's very, very brief. It doesn't really tell us anything new. 
And it is almost the same as what was said in 2017. I mean, just to give one example, I guess the most relevant bit of the Xi Jinping's report to the Congress, which people have, have referenced, the, the 2022 text says something along the lines of, we will improve the personal income tax system and keep income distribution and the means of accumulating well-regulated. We'll protect lawful income, adjust excessive income, and prohibit illicit income. And that's pretty much all it says about the aspects of common prosperity that were worrying people. But the, the nearest there is to an equivalent part of the 2017 report says something very similar. It says, we'll encourage people to make their money through hard work and legal means. We'll expand the size of the middle income group, increase income for people on low incomes, adjust excessive incomes and prohibit illicit income. So we got that kind of language cited as a reason for this concern about a potential more radical turn after the Congress, but there's really no substance to that. And it's the same if you look at other key issues in terms of economic policy indicators in the report. There's nothing really new and substantive there that would be a basis for the kind of response we saw from markets. So I think it's more likely to reflect just a, a sort of belated adjustment in perceptions that maybe quite a lot of people have woken up to the fact that you know, what we've seen as the trajectory in the last year and the last few years is not going to change. And if anything, you know, there'll be a a doubling down on that rather than a a backing off from some of these policies that that seem to to concern. And I think it's also just a sort of a, a cumulative effect over many years where we've had major developments kind of eating away at sentiment and each of them on their own has not been enough to really make much change. But cumulatively, I think we're seeing increasingly negative perceptions. So, you know, going back to the trade war years during the Trump administration and, you know, tariffs and export controls, sanctions, and we had the COVID years. And more recently, we've had the, the real estate situation in China, the tech crackdown, the zero COVID policy and the lockdowns and the impact of that. And this year, you know, we've got the worst, perhaps worst economic growth situation for for decades. And also the, you know, the geopolitical context, people's perceptions internationally in the the context of Ukraine, the, the Nancy Pelosi visit this year in the Taiwan situation. So all cumulatively, this is, I think, built up in the Congress kind of, uh, reminded people that you know we could be on that trajectory for the foreseeable future, and it could even increase. So I, I think you know we shouldn't really be basing perceptions or greatly changing our expectations based on the Congress. I think it's more of a question of the attention being. We'll get back to our talk with Andy soon. You're welcome to click on the link included in the podcast notes if you want to subscribe to our Asia in Focus podcast series more broadly. We bring a regular analysis of the business and climate all around the Asia Pacific region. We've covered recently Sri Lanka, Malaysia, the Pacific Islands, and how that's fitting into US-China tensions and a number of other jurisdictions. 
And if you're looking for more of such insights from our experts all over the world, please do visit the Our Thinking section on our website. And if you're interested in China specifically, further details around the Congress and the immediate aftermath and some of the more details there, Andy's written a terrific article that's up on our website as well. And let's go ahead and get back to our discussion. Okay, so you're talking about it being a bit of a cumulative effect of a number of things. And then, of course, the optics of seeing quite literally all those people on stage and what that means for China's leadership going forward, more so than, let's say, any new concrete developments. But taking a step back, what does that then mean, in your view, for the future of China going forward? Because I'm wondering, do these negative perceptions affect reality? Because the optimist might say, you know, out of the Congress, we've seen continuity. We've seen some perhaps increased stability. There's a lot of pundits that are thinking that, you know, COVID restrictions might uh, ease sometime in the kind of mid to latter half of 2023, which would potentially then lead to a big growth recovery. What's your reaction to that? To be clear, we're definitely not saying that there aren't very real reasons for concern. I think what we saw from the Congress in itself, in terms of policy indicators, is is not the basis for that concern. But going back to fundamentals, there are real problems and risks out there that you know that we've been talking about for a long time now. So if we look at you know some of the fundamentals that have underpinned China's growth and and stability and success in in recent decades, one of them in terms of pure stability, you know, for better or worse, has been the, the very strong level of party political control over the, the country and the political system. And that is one thing that certainly has not weakened, it's strengthened. Another one is very rapid economic growth. And while I think there's sometimes, you know, the, the idea of performance legitimacy and the government's legitimacy resting entirely on rapid economic growth, I think that's false, but it's certainly been a, a huge factor in China's success for a long time. That one is now clearly in a great deal of question, and it's not just about zero COVID. Another pillar of China's success has been historically this kind of pragmatic, adaptable policymaking where, you know, practical considerations trump ideology and political considerations and the government has a long-standing track record of being able to adapt its policies to the realities and to fix or, or avoid a lot of major risks and crises over the years by having that pragmatic approach. And I think that is in question now. And uh, lastly, some degree of predictability long-term about succession questions and leadership stability has also been a big part of, of China's success relative to other one-party states historically that have you know struggled with succession crises and China kind of had a formula for at least temporarily a- avoiding that kind of thing and that formula no longer seems to be in play so all of these fundamentals have shifted. So I I think that is a big long-term grounds for concern. And then on the more immediate tangibles, I think, as I say, the problems for the growth outlook are not just about 
zero COVID. But that's a big one. And the Congress, I think, made very clear that there is no short-term expectation of lifting that policy. It's not clear at all that there is any particular timeline in mind for that. And we might be waiting for quite a long time for any major change in that policy. Uh, And even if or when that change does come, a lot of the other key drivers of growth are also looking very weak. So I think that's a, a strong reason for concern. And the other one is that the external environment, which is also been another great reason for why China has been so successful in recent decades. That stable external environment has been under threat for quite a few years, and that's going to remain the case if we look at the indicators from the Congress on foreign policy expectations. Uh, I think we'll get you know more of the trajectory that we've had in recent years. So if you put all that together, it doesn't take away the fact that in relative terms, China has one of the the stronger growth outlooks, and particularly in in certain sectors, is is still, in relative terms, a global bright spot for for growth prospects. It's certainly not as strong as it used to be. And the the risks and then the uncertainties have, have come much more into focus than they were in the past. Okay, that's uh, extremely thoughtful, and um, it gives us a, a lot to chew on. As I think, as clients are thinking about how to operate their business and potentially grow their businesses in China going forward. But as always, let's finish the conversation now with some questions we can talk through, particularly for our clients to consider. So, based on what we've been discussing here, can you give us a couple of takeaways in terms of what companies should be thinking about? not just for additional growth opportunities. And as you know, we've heard a lot of clients say the additional growth may not be coming from China. It may be coming from India or elsewhere in Asia or even elsewhere in Latin America. But indeed, the current operations, we've had clients say we have to make China work. So there's, you know, we've seen very few, if any, clients actually exiting the market, but a a lot of questions on how they're going to get the market to work for them in terms of what the yield is that they need to find. So in sum... How can clients be making sense of, staying on top of, making a good sense of the political and policy picture? And what does that mean for companies, China strategy overall going forward? So on that first point about, you know, staying on top of what's happening and how the outlook is developing, I guess the first thing is not to read too much into one-off events like the Congress, but instead, you know, keep following more specific indicators. Or we'll get maybe some of those coming out of um, more specific economic policy-making events in the next few months. We've got probably a, a Politburo meeting in November, um, a Central Economic Work Conference in December, and the legislative session, the National People's Congress annual session in March next year, where a lot of economic and financial officials will be appointed And then for most of our clients, you know, we're looking at sector-specific or region-specific, issue-specific policy developments. And most of those do not come from something like the Congress. So a little less attention to the theater events like a Congress and more ongoing attention on the more specific indicators and, you know, not looking too much to headlines and market reactions for understanding kind of where things are heading. That's a a pretty good start. And in terms of what we see with clients sort of making strategic adjustments, if you like, particularly long-term ones to all these 
increasingly existential questions about where China's heading and where particularly foreign investors and companies fit into that. The danger, I think, with, again, reading too much into something like the Congress is that it's such a hugely different picture depending on which sector, which which industry you're in, you know, what your business model is, what even what product it is that specifically that you're in and, you know, what kind of partnerships and strategy you have. We still have a lot of clients who are relatively bullish on China, again, at least relative to the global picture. So it, it's easy to say, well, China has got a lot, you know, the growth prospects are substantially weaker and risks are increasingly on the agenda, but that's all relative to your options elsewhere. And in some respects, you know, day-to-day operating environment, if you take out certain issues which are particularly challenging in, in China, in many respects, you know, security environment, the infrastructure and how well established and um, in many ways efficient the, the the kind of architecture for foreign companies operating in China is still far superior to a lot of other major emerging markets and a lot of the alternatives. So, you know, you might escape one set of risks by exiting China, but you may well get into equally or, or more challenging risks of another kind in a lot of other markets. So that makes it a much more complicated question than just you know, acknowledging how much more difficult and uncertain things have become in, in China over the years. And, you know, for most clients, it's a question still of looking at scenarios, even if they do acknowledge the worst growth outlook, what are they set up to, you know, how are they going to adapt if things get a lot worse, whether that's in terms of the external environment or things like export controls and, and sanctions becoming more constraining. It's the preparedness for those different potential outcomes, because most of our clients are trying to strike a balance between being able to still capitalize on the opportunities that they still expect, but also being prepared for and and, and relatively adaptable to, and to the extent they can, mitigating their exposure to the increasingly likely problems that could come up. So really, that's the trick. Unfortunately, if it was as easy as just saying things have got riskier, then we would all have a much easier time. Yeah, that's exactly true. So it sounds like the the main takeaways are, even though the Congress has put really a line under Xi's dominance, we shouldn't be looking at it too much for policy, because it's not a policy making event, and we didn't get a lot of policy out of it. We should instead be looking ahead, and we'll have you back on to talk about it when the time comes, around the actual policy-making sessions with the upcoming pull-up bureau meeting and other sessions going forward. And great point. I mean, a lot of questions still around China. Some clients are even starting to say, is it is it investable? But you know, what I hear you saying is it, it depends very much on your sector, your business model, potentially even your product. And if you can get your scenarios and triggers correct in terms of what you're watching for, you can still be making some good money there, especially relative to other markets that are facing um, other risks as well. So thanks so much for that, Andy. That was a really, really in-depth and useful discussion, I think, for our clients. Um, Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. That's all for today's Asia in Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to our podcast channel so that you'll receive all new episodes as soon as they're released. Thank you so much, and we look forward to the next one.
If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of Asia in Focus, be sure to subscribe and make sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.